there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about financial services and certified financial advising, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a top-ranked financial advisor, top-ranked by Barron's and Forbes, and he's got almost 30 years of financial industry leadership. But before I introduce you to Paul Pagnotto, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. It's the only place you can find it. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Paul Pagnotto, the CEO and founder at Pagnotto Carp, which is a multifamily office with over $4.8 billion in assets under advisement. We're going to talk with Paul about what that means in just a minute. In 2019, Paul was ranked by Forbes as the number one wealth advisor in Virginia and 29th in the nation. And he was ranked second in Virginia on Barron's top 1,200 financial advisors list. Paul spent almost two decades with Merrill Lynch, where he actually founded Merrill's private banking and investment office in Washington, D.C. And before that, my friends, he began his professional life, wait for it, as a microbiologist with NASA and McDonnell Douglas working collaboratively to search for life in outer space. I love it. Paul is also the author of the newly published book, Transparency Wave, Exponential Changes That Will Transform Our World. If you want to learn more about how to break into this field, check out show notes for this episode to see if Paul's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. These are the quick episodes that cover questions like whether your major matters, what skills are most important to have, as well as what kind of life experiences are helpful to have to break into Paul's profession. Paul, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still naturally caffeinated and ready to go? I am ready to rock and roll. Absolutely. Okay. Incredible, incredibly flattering. Very, very modest. Very, very flattering introduction. Thank you. My friends, I want you to take note. Modesty is an unbelievably important quality to cultivate because all I did was read what Paul has accomplished and yet listen to his response. Paul, I want to start out with some quick definitions here. And really, it's as much for my listeners as it is for me, (laughs) so that we're not lost when you start explaining what you do. Is that okay? Yes, 100%. (laughs) All right. So I'll explain what the business does, and then I'll explain what I do and my role in the company. So we are a multifamily office. So what that means is we take care of 
all of the financial, tax, legal, travel, all those matters for people we take care of. So our job is to make their life as simple as possible and to give back people their most valuable asset, time. So we manage their capital, manage their money. We do their tax returns for them, all their tax compliance. We perform legal services so we can draft their documents or wills or trusts and Dover Powell's returns and medical directives, take care of all their banking functions. The client's going to plan a trip somewhere. They just call one of our lifestyle experts and we take care of all that. So that's what a multifamily office is and that's what we do day in and day out. So I'm the CEO founder. So I founded, created the business. And as the CEO, my job is to inspire the team members and provide innovation and creativity for them to have breakthroughs and for them to unleash more and more value for our clients every day, every week, every month. That's my job. And I love it. It's so much fun. (laughs) It sounds amazing. Now, when you say you've got over $4.8 billion in assets under advisement, what is the average net worth or the amount of money that you're managing for any particular client? Yeah, the average is about $20 million. Yeah, that's a pretty good chunk of change. <laughs> and what a lot is of, a lot of capital. <laughs> what is a financial advisor and what, if any, difference is there between a financial advisor and a certified financial analyst? Yeah. So a financial advisor is someone that's working directly with people and helping them. It could be helping them plan for major events, retirement, a wedding, uh, college planning, and then helping them with their portfolio, managing the capital, directing them on how it should be allocated, how much should be in stocks, bonds, cash, alternative investments. And they tend to have a personal relationship and the financial advisor would work day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month with the individual. A certified financial analyst can be bifurcated. So they can also be a financial advisor and perform those same functions and roles. But a lot of CFAs work for asset management firms and they're more focused on the construction of a portfolio. They're more focused on analyzing companies and company balance sheets and the expected outcomes of their earnings going forward. So that's the difference between a financial advisor and a chartered financial advisor. Okay. So would a CFA be doing the research that then informs the decisions that a financial advisor makes? Yes. Yes. That's a great way to segment it and think about it. So your firm has both. Yes. So we have both. So we have individuals that have the ability to do the deep, deep research on mutual funds, ETF, institutional managers. And then we also have advisors that are working with clients every single day. As I said in the introduction, you did not major in financial services and financial planning and business and any of the above. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But for our young listeners who are still in college right now, Paul, and who may think this will rock their world, that this is actually something that could play to their strengths and that would light them up, what do you recommend they study? With your undergraduate degree, I would study the sciences. And that's what I did. 
And studying the sciences teaches your brain to work a certain way. It teaches you how to process information. It teaches you how to experiment, how to research, how to innovate. And those traits, those habits, those skills are completely applicable to the business world. The company that you ultimately go to work for, they will have, they should have the personnel to teach you the basics. And in fact, if you pursue a CFP accreditation, being a certified financial planner, you'll learn all the basics that you'll need to advise a person. So I'm a big advocate of studying the sciences and having that baseline fundamental knowledge of experimenting and processes and systems, because that will apply to the world as a financial advisor or any other career you might pursue in the future. Oh my gosh, definitely not the answer I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is if someone does think they want to go into this field, study the sciences, and then you can get your CFP or any of those other certifications sort of at night or online or something like that? Correct. And a lot of the universities now, I'd say over 50% of universities offer that program at the school. So you can pursue your degree in sciences, but then also supplement with a CFP. A lot of schools offer that. Nice. Okay. For our young listeners, again, those who are curious about what this line of work is like. What might they expect to be doing if they were to start out working for a firm like yours? You have a plethora of opportunities. So with a firm like ours, it could be helping somebody with planning. So doing deep, deep planning for them. It could be helping them with their banking functionality. It could be helping them with their taxes. It could be helping them with their legal work. We even have full-time lifestyle experts. So helping them plan their best vacation, their best trip ever, or lining up their next purchase for a car. So there's really a plethora of opportunities and just depends on who you are and what works for you. What's going to give you the most energy? What's your unique ability? You know, and how are you going to have the greatest impact on others? Cool. And what about if they were working for more of like a traditional wealth management firm that was just strictly about building someone's portfolio, growing someone's portfolio? What could they expect to find there? Yeah. So then the career path is fairly focused on being a financial advisor. And as a financial advisor, you will help them with the client with their planning needs, help them make decisions on how to allocate their capital, and then make decisions on actually managing the money on an ongoing basis. There's a lot of time spent on the portfolio and the planning, but then a lot of time is spent interacting with your clients and determining what are their fears, what's keeping them up at night, what do they feel their dangers are. What are their opportunities? What are their greatest strengths? And then your job is to minimize those fears and those obstacles, those what's keeping them up at night. Your job is to maximize their opportunities and take advantage of their strengths. And if you successfully do that, 
you'll have a great outcome. One of the things that Paul shared in our Espresso Shots interview is that at times you may feel, as he does, like you're a bit of a psychologist. You're helping your clients work through different emotions so that they can make really sound decisions and help them through various challenges that they may be experiencing in their life. You're not literally a psychologist on the, you know, sitting in a room with <laughs> with your <laughs> client on the couch. But nevertheless, when it comes to money, when it comes to your lifestyle, you know, that's uh, you're going to have some strong emotions. So you need to be ready for that. So that's so, so accurate. You think about it, just the last few months, we had periods of time when the equity markets, the stock market was down 45%. So individuals that had money allocated to that area had that size of a drop. And so for them to be able to talk to someone about that and to have the confidence and to be able to have the, provide someone the leadership on doing the right things is just absolutely essential. I mean, these are life moments that you help people through. A hundred percent. So Paul, for almost 20 years before you founded your own firm, Pagnato Carp, you worked for Merrill Lynch, which is an investing and wealth management division now of Bank of America. How did you find yourself at Merrill? Because it's a crazy story. So I was at the time a microbiologist with a company called Vitex Systems, a division of McDonnell Douglas. And I was ready for a change. I was ready to grow. I loved what I was doing there, but I was just, I wanted to be more of an entrepreneur. I wanted to be more in control of my own destiny. And our neighbor was a manager at Merrill Lynch and we would babysit his kids and we developed the relationship and he was essentially recruiting me to come over to Merrill Lynch. And so I got to the point where I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I, I want to do this. And so then he said, well, where do you want to start your franchise with Merrill Lynch? Where do you want to start your career? I went to school in Florida. I thought the demographics would be great. A lot of older people retiring to Florida, very tax-friendly state. So I said, Florida. So he said, great. So he set me up on an interview, didn't get the job. Go back to him, sets me up with another interview, didn't get the job. He literally interviewed seven different offices in Florida. Wow. And nobody would hire me. I had none of the things that they were looking for. I didn't have a financial background. I had no sales experience, no marketing experience. I didn't come from money. I didn't have a network to tap into. So he challenged me and he said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, I have never been more sure, never been more passionate about wanting this. Every time I went on one of these interviews, I knew that I could do it. And it just was like adding fuel to my fire. So he goes, well, you have to pick another area of the country, <laughs> literally, because <laughs> I, I just went through all of Florida. So I said, well, I'm, I grew up in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Do you know anybody there? He goes, well, let me see. So he literally gets out the Merrill Lynch phone directory. And he says, well, I know somebody who's going to take over this office in Tyson's Corner. Have you ever heard of Tyson's Corner? I said, well, that's where I grew up. So he set me up on an interview. And the gentleman, his name is Jack Armstrong, amazing, amazing human being spoke at me for an hour. At the end of that period of time, he said, okay, okay, Pagnano, you want a job? I'm like, uh, yes, sir, Mr. Armstrong. He said, well, how much are you making? I said, uh, Mr. Armstrong, I'm making $32,000 a year. He goes, okay, I'll match it, but 
I was living in St. Louis, Missouri at the time. But you need to move yourself here. You need to be here in two weeks. <laughs> so that's how I got my start. And I also share that story because I had a lot of failure, right? So I had seven rejections. I had seven no's. And these were trips I had to make. It was a lot of time and energy went into it. It was like a nine-month process with all of those no's. But I was so passionate about doing this. I knew I could do it. My DNA was telling me. My spirit was telling me. And I, I didn't stop. So I believe if you want something bad enough in life, I don't care what it is. If you want it bad enough and you're willing to pay the price for the attainment, you can achieve it. That is such a fabulous story. And what really jumps out to me is that those people that you interviewed with in Florida lacked imagination. They were unable to think outside the box and to dissect your skill set. The fact that you obviously were really good at math, you had majored in microbiology, and you were clearly somebody who was professional and who had social graces and who was ready to hustle to get the job. Maybe you didn't have sales experience per se, but they should have been asking the right questions to kind of test you on that. And the guy in Tyson's corner was willing to give you a break. At least he saw your superpowers, Paul. And you believed in yourself. It's so easy for us to put our sense of self-worth in the hands of other people. And that's especially true when we're younger. Believe so, so, in yourself, so true, right? Yeah. Believe in yeah, yourself. So, Don't give so your true. power away to these people who lack the imagination. Keep mm -hmm. at it. Yep. Success is really the failure to turn inside out at the end of the day. And I'll share with you my second week that I was with Merrill Lynch and the manager, I committed to him. I openly said to him, I want you to know that I will be your largest producer in the office. Whoa. That's like a really bold statement, right? Yeah. I was so moved. I was so inspired that he gave me the shot. Right? He gave me the opportunity. I was going to do whatever it took to make it back for him. I wanted to add as much value as I possibly could. And I knew that's how I could add the most value to him. And in five years, I was, uh, I was his largest producer. So what I learned from that is when you openly verbalize and commit your goals to others, you have a much higher probability of reaching it. So I would encourage all the listeners to not just personally commit to your goals, but then share them with people around you. Your probability of success in reaching that goal goes up exponentially. Oh, fantastic advice, Paul. I want to just flash back very quickly to when you were an undergrad. You got your BS, your Bachelor of Science degree from Florida Atlantic University, and you majored in microbiology. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated, Paul? I had no idea. In fact, when I went to school, I wasn't passionate about any particular item or thing. I love the water, I scuba dive, I love fishing. So I thought, let's find a school that has a great marine biology program. So I actually went to FAU to be a marine biologist. I ended up getting a degree in microbiology. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Do I enter the business world or do I apply my degree? 
And I really wanted to find something to apply my degree and hence took position with McDonnell Douglas was on a, a contract with NASA and use the microbiology, uh, the skills that I had learned in school. So that's how that happened. Awesome. And while I would so love to ask you more about that experience, because I'm sure it was fascinating for the sake of time, I'm going to ask you how you made the pivot from microbiology to financial services. You mentioned your neighbor. How long had you been with NASA McDonnell Douglas before that happened? Yeah, it was about approximately four years. And I felt that I had outgrown my position and I was ready for a new challenge. Now, we didn't, we didn't find life in outer space, but we did achieve a lot of things. So I just felt like I was ready for a new challenge. But it was, it was after four years, I started to explore what my next journey was going to be in life. And it came through babysitting. <laughs> Little did you know that it would be something as random as babysitting that would open the door to your opportunity to check out Merrill Lynch. Was there anything you learned as a scientist that you were able to apply to financial advising? Oh, yes. So many things. So the skill set of experimenting and the skill set of failing fast. So when you're a scientist and you're doing research, you have many, many experiments that are being conducted simultaneously. And the reality is most of them fail. You're just hoping that one or two hit over time. You have success over time. So you learn that that's, that's how it happens. That's the, that's the process. So then being able to bring that to the business world and to be able to experiment. So when I first started with Merrill Lynch, literally it was an experiment. I had never done sales before, never done marketing before. So I experimented and I did everything. So literally I would do cold walking in industrial parks and knocking on doors to speak to business owners. I would do mailers, direct mail. I would hold seminars and workshops. I would cold call. I would create networking groups. I did all these different types of experiments. So I collected the data, the ones that I had the most success with. I spent more time and energy on more resources. And then that's a never ending process. And then the same thing with clients. It was an experiment on how I could create more and more value for clients. So when I started off, it was purely managing money for them. And then it was doing planning and managing money for them. And then it was helping them with some lifestyle services. So you fast forward 20 years later, all these experiments have led us to be a complete family office for these entrepreneurs. So it's pretty cool how the evolution took place. Again, such an important lesson here that your journeys, my friends, whether you're still in school, whether you've already graduated, are going to be a process of zigging and zagging. The jobs that you may want to have may not exist right now, but they will. And your opportunities to get into different careers are going to come from places you least expect it. I call it magic. Could be babysitting. It could be you're standing in line in the grocery store with your mask on and somebody has a cool mask on and you're like, where'd you get that mask? And the next thing you know, you strike up a conversation and you find out that they're doing something in a profession you've never heard of 
and they really like you because you're friendly, you're outgoing, and maybe you've told them a little bit of your story. But at any rate, just think about what you want to do over the next year or so. Trust the process. Trust that life is going to drop things in your lap when you least expect it. Paul, your new book is entitled Transparency Wave, Exponential Changes That Will Transform Our World. What is it about and why should our young listeners check it out? So the book is about the next massive wave of transformation to society. So we've had two other huge, huge waves that have taken our society to levels that humans never thought. The first was the communication period. And that was the advent of telephone, printing press, airplane, automobile, enabled people to connect and communicate at levels that they never were able to. And that brought us into the digital era. It was really Vince Cerf in 1969 who created the internet. It was a ARPANET. It was a government project. And that led to email, text, cell phones, computers, the whole digital era that we all have are living through. Well, the digital era has now brought us into the cost of the transparency wave. And we see this now every day. You hear about transparency or lack of transparency. So it's challenging on us as humans when we enter a new era. Just think about people before telephones and cars and planes and how they interacted. It was a big adjustment for humans. And then the same thing in the digital era, huge adjustment to email and text and cell phones and computers. Well, it's a, now it's another huge adjustment for humans entering the transparency wave. We see Twitter and Facebook changing their policies, right? We see politicians getting involved. We see corporations changing their policies on transparency. So transparency changes everything, but it's not easy to make this change. And so I wrote the book to help people, to help people embrace transparency and to lean in it and to benefit from being uber transparent. And how do you think the coronavirus has affected that transparency wave? I believe it's helping people lean into transparency and be more desirous of transparency, right? So we're, we're learning is the faster that we have transparent data, clean data. And what we've learned is if we were quicker to have the data of how other countries went through this process, we could have been more prepared and we could have saved, literally saved lives. And we've seen other countries that were very quick to follow policies and procedures. But the more transparency we have on data with a pandemic, the quicker we're able to come up with solutions and the quicker people and the communities are able to react. So I think we've learned a lot about this and I think people will be more confident, being more transparent with that data. Yeah. And I actually think this generation, our T4C community listeners, are very comfortable with being transparent. They've grown up as digital natives. They put pretty much everything about themselves out there in their social media feeds. And I think they're going to be able to ride this wave and be very comfortable with it. A hundred percent. 
And it's really no different than when these other ways hit. So you think about when an airplane first was created, majority of the people, they'd be afraid to fly on an airplane or the automobile. They'd be afraid to drive in an automobile. And then the digital era, people were afraid to go onto the internet, privacy reasons. They were afraid to use a lot of the digital technologies and embrace it. It was fear. Well, it's the same thing with transparency. You have a lot of people today that fear being transparent. They feel vulnerable and they feel that people are going to take advantage of them. So it's normal. But in time, we will overcome that. And as we experience that transparency changes everything and we have better results and it's going to benefit more people in, in society and our country, it's just going to be embraced by everybody. And I believe we're on the cusp of the tsunami that's going to be uh, taking over on on transparency. And it's beautiful. All right. Well, everybody get out your surfboards and get ready <laughs> <laughs> to ride the biggest wave. Two final T4C questions for you, Paul. And these are questions I try to ask all of my guests, in particular, this one to try to empower our young listeners to embrace what you have already touched on, and that is the power of failure. If you could share a time in your professional life, you already mentioned when you were trying to get your foot in the door at Merrill, but when you really struggled, maybe you face-planted with clients. Maybe you, I don't know if you got fired. I got fired twice in my 40s. They were unbelievably positive experiences for me. They sucked at the time, but they were incredible opportunities for me in the longer run. So whatever that may be, I'm most interested in what happened, how you persevered, and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process. Yeah, Andrea. So I had enormous failure during the last financial crisis in 0809, the Great Recession. I was advised by my company, and it wasn't just my company, the industry was advising high net worth individuals to place their cash into something called a VRDO, variable rate demand obligation. It was these instruments that would pay more money than a money market account. And so that's what I did and all my peers did. And then the financial crisis hit. And when the financial crisis hit, those instruments that were supposed to be completely safe and liquid locked up. They froze up. And my clients that had trusted me putting their cash in these instruments, I had to look at them in the eye and say, you can't get your cash out right now. That was immense failure. I was every night, I slept three hours a day. I'd be up all night worrying about which bank overseas was going to go out of business or what was going to be the next company in the United States that was going to go out of business. I literally was like nauseous to my stomach. It just ate me alive. Well, we got through it and those VRDOs, the liquidity did get unleashed and my, my clients did receive their capital back. But my gosh, did I learn so much. And I learned about a lack of transparency throughout the entire financial industry, which led me to create and found Pagnato Carp, which has just been unbelievable. So, you know, our assets under management went from advisement went from a billion to now close to $5 billion. So it's just been remarkable. So, but that was another time where I had intense, tense failure, losing sleep and I'm literally nauseous to myself. Very, very unhealthy situation. But now I've learned so much through that. I am 10 times better as a human being, as an advisor, as a CEO, as a result of that. 
I wonder if another takeaway is not to follow conventional wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Listen, listen to your own inner voice, listen to your gut, your true north, whatever it is. But not to follow the crowd and the inclination is, oh, everybody's doing this. I don't want to buck the trend. But at any rate, thank you so much for sharing that, Paul. You're welcome. Final question. If you could go back to school, back to Florida Atlantic and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have right now, what advice would you give yourself? I would tweak the sciences that I studied. And I would study genomics. I would be studying machine learning on artificial intelligence. Those would be some tweaks. I did have some genetic courses, but I would have taken more. I also would have studied some more physics. These are the areas that I believe in the next decade we're entering that are going to completely transform society as we know it today. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and that was a few years ago. But uh, if I had to do over, I would tweak the curriculum and the courses that I would have taken. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that was the first thing that came to mind. Hey, I think that's great advice. If only I were back in school. And even for those who've already graduated, you can still take courses mm-hmm. online. So that is the yeah. beauty of this digital era. (laughs) There's so much out there. There's so much content. And frankly, you're going to need to, just as I need to, I guarantee you Paul's doing this, you're going to continue to need to upskill over the course of your professional life. So why not take these courses now if you've already graduated? Paul's new book is entitled Transparency Wave, exponential changes that will transform our world. What is so exciting, all of the changes that are happening in our life, Paul is trying to encapsulate that and give it to you in sort of a very compelling format. Paul, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are such an incredible human. You have so much wisdom and such a beautiful way of sharing it. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for your time and so grateful for you enabling me to speak to your audience. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee. 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.